Yeah, welcome everyone, wherever you might be watching or listening to us, and uh, a very special welcome if this is your very first time joining us at Hosanna. Uh, our hope and our prayer truly is that what you experience today will help you take the next step forward in your faith. My name is Jason Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, I just want to begin by affirming those of you who continue to give during this time. Uh, because we understand for some of you, you have lost your job, your income has been dramatically impacted, and not only do we pray for you and with you, but as a church, we support organizations that are designed to support you during this time. And so for all of us, I want us to continue to boldly continue to follow Jesus in all areas of our life, including the area of our finances. So if you want to give today, uh, you can text the word Hosanna Church to 77977. Today, though, we are going to continue our series called The Other Side. We are answering the question, what do we want our lives to look like on the other side of this massive disruption? We have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to almost like pause, because the pause has been forced on us, to pause and reflect like, is this how I want my life to be? And last week, our lead pastor, Ryan, he kicked things off, and if you didn't see the message, you got to go back and watch it, because not only does he set up the context for this series, but like you heard uh, Pastor Pear say in the video there, he declared the kind of church we're going to be in light of the death of George Floyd. And so you need to go back and see that. We've made it really easy. Just go to our website. We've got a button there, and you can see uh, Ryan's comments. This week, though, uh, we are going to continue the series, but this, this week, we're going to focus more so on our relationships. Like, what do we want our relationships to look like on the other side of this? And whether you are married or you're in a relationship, this is going to apply to you if you're single and you hope to be married one day, this will apply to you. Uh, even as parents, we'll be able to use the principle we're going to talk about today with our kids. And we knew we needed to do a series like this because of the way things have been for the past whatever, it feels like six, eight months. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been that long, but for a lot of us, we suddenly have been around our family all the time. Unless you are serving as an essential service, which we are so grateful for, for the rest of us, I mean, our life looks radically different because obviously if we worked outside the home, we'd have this breathing that would take place in our relationship. We'd go to work and then we'd come back home and, and be part of the family. And maybe during this time, you have discovered something about yourself or about your relationship. Maybe it's kind of like my parents after my dad finally retired. I checked in after a couple of weeks of him being home all the time, and he looked at me and he said, we're going to kill each other. And he's joking, I hope, but uh, what, what he is highlighting is this tension that I think a lot of us have been feeling. Like I've been reading stories that are predicting that we're going to see this surge in babies seven or eight months from now, but I've also been reading how we're going to see a spike in divorces aptly named COVID divorce. I mean, you have couples that were having troubles prior to this, and now suddenly they're around each other all the time. They don't have access to help, and they don't know how to fix what is broken. And you put people like that together in this kind of scenario, it's like it microwaves the relationship. In fact, I, I like the way that pastor and author Kerry Newhoff says it. He says this, a crisis is an accelerator it reveals and amplifies the weaknesses that were already there. And to me, the biggest plague that I have experienced in my lifetime is divorce. It is the relational pandemic of our time. I mean, I think we all know people that have been touched by it, families that have been affected by it, marriages that have succumbed to it. 
And if you're divorced, just please hear my heart in this. I am not trying to make you feel bad. I am not trying to shame you in any way. I know maybe another church has already done that. I just, I've just spoken with so many people that have gone through this experience and they know firsthand the pain that it brings, the relational scarring that it leaves behind, the financial futures that it puts in jeopardy and the increased odds that it gets passed on to the kids. I just think that's one of the reasons why God says, I hate divorce. But please hear me. As much as God hates divorce, he loves you more. The question is, is there any hope? Well, the answer is yes. Of course there is hope. In Jesus, there is always hope. In fact, right now in the season we're in, we have an opportunity really to pause and reevaluate how we approach relationships and marriage. In fact, I think that's what a lot of us need to change is our perspective towards this. Because there's a perspective that I think we need to make it's small, but man, it is so incredibly important. And let me try to illustrate what I'm talking about. Uh, I have an object with me here today, and if you know what it is and you're watching with other people, don't say what it is. But what do you think this is? What do you think it's used for? Now, you can probably come up with some different ideas, like you try to hang it on a door and maybe a plant could hang off the bottom or you could use it to get things off the you know, top of the shelf or something like that. But how would you discover the true purpose of this object? Well, you could go to the person who created it. And if you did that, the creator would tell you this is called a theracane. It is actually a, a therapeutic muscle device that helps you get at those knots in your back kind of thing. And I can tell you it works really, really well. Um, and so just like you would have to go to the creator to find out what the purpose of this object is. The exact same is true when it comes to our relationships because God is the creator of relationships and marriage. The problem is I think more of us are taking our cues from culture than we are from the creator. And what is culture telling us? Well, just watch The Bachelor. Wait, uh, no, don't do that. I care about you. And when you watch The Bachelor, you actually lose brain cells. It's been proven. So please, please don't do that. But seriously, like what, what do TV and, and movies tell us when it comes to relationships? I'm like, honestly, what it tells us has really invaded our psyche. Because we hear people say it all the time. They say things like, I just want to find someone who will make me happy. Or when things aren't going well, they'll say, I'm just not happy anymore. As if the purpose of the relationship was happiness. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad expectation to have, and hopefully that's what we get through our relationships and being married is some happiness. But is it really the purpose? See, if it is, and that happiness begins to wane, the happiness factor starts to go down, bad things start to happen. Like on one end of the spectrum, you have people then will start trying to recreate that spark, that happiness factor, the dopamine rush of a new relationship, and they end up having a mental or physical affair. And if happiness really is the purpose of our marriage, the bad news is we probably have to cycle through our marriages once every four or five years. On the other end of the spectrum are marriages that start to resemble a cold war. Words become fewer. And when they are spoken, they are words of contempt and criticism and defensiveness, each blaming the other for their unhappiness. And in the middle are these marriages that aren't, they're not bad, but they're not exactly good either. I mean, the household is certainly peaceful, but pretty soon people start to wonder, I, 
I wonder what it's going to be like when the kids leave, because essentially the two of you have become roommates. The question is, could God have created relationships and marriage as something more sustaining and deeper and fulfilling than just our happiness? See, that's the question we have to answer. From God's perspective, what is the purpose of marriage? We answer that question, and we'll discover the, the change in our perspective that we need to make that can make all the difference on the other side of this. And so we get some really good guidance from a guy named Paul. God used Paul to start a bunch of churches, and one of them was in a city called Corinth. Uh, that's where we get our letters, First and Second Corinthians, from. And really, it's just a correspondence back and forth. They're asking questions, they're having problems, and Paul is helping address and answer the questions that they have. And they start wondering, is it okay to be married? Like, who should be married? Paul, you're single. I mean, we should be single? And the way that he answers that question helps us begin to understand the purpose of marriage. So I'm going to start reading, if you want to follow along. This is First Corinthians 7. We're going to start in verse 32. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. Here's what Paul says. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibility and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. And then here's the key. Paul says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. And so what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is the same thing that he would say to us today. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. In other words, our highest goal in life is to follow Jesus and become more like him. Paul reinforces that in 2 Corinthians when he says this, Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for, for Christ who died and was raised for them. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, paying the penalty for our sins when we did not deserve it, our natural response should be one of gratitude and willingness and wanting to follow Jesus and become more like him. And so if our biggest goal in life is to follow Jesus and become more like him, all the other goals come underneath it. So that's what this means. The goal of marriage is not just to make us happy. It's to help make us holy. The purpose of marriage is not happiness. It's holiness. And if you hear nothing else I say today, if you don't remember anything else, please remember that. Because from God's perspective, the goal of marriage is not just to make us happy by finding Mr. or Mrs. Right. But obviously, hopefully that actually happens. But instead, the goal of marriage is to help continue to make us holy. And by holiness, Paul would say growing in character, in godliness, and becoming the person that our Heavenly Father wants us to be. And for those of you who have been married for a while, you probably have already experienced this. As someone who's been married now for nearly 30 years, nothing has the potential to accelerate your spiritual growth like your spouse. Someone who knows you better than anyone else does. They've seen you at your best, your worst, your ugliest, and they love you anyways. They may not always like you, but they always love you. A marriage is a 24-7 commitment where two sinners come together, and if they are willing to let it, begin to understand the things in their life that have to change, and that can act as a furnace for spiritual growth. 
some of you, some of you are following Paul's example and you have chosen to remain single. That is good and God-honoring. That uh, Very much, uh, you can choose that and very, be very God-honoring in the process. But even if you're single, you have to admit that there are more opportunities for growth if you're married versus if you're single. Meaning, if you're a monk, okay, if you're a monk, there's nobody leaving clothes on the floor. There's no one stealing covers in the middle of the night. There's no kids running around breaking your stuff or not listening to what you have to say. In fact, if I have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I want to do what a monk does, and that's walk around and pray and be reflective instead of getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning having, having to take uh, care of a crying child. God gave us marriage to help make us holy, not just happy. And even if you're tempted to think, listen, all the problems in my marriage are because of him or her. You, come on, deep down, you know that's not true. You know that there's one or two or six things about yourself that need to change. God has used a spouse, a family member, a friend to show you something that needs to change. And besides, listen, you may be better than your spouse in some areas, but your spouse is not the standard. It's Jesus. And so all of us have a ways to go when it comes to patience, goodness, kindness, forgiveness, serving one another. Marriage, if we let it, has the ability to hold up a mirror to ourselves and show us the areas in our life that need to change. Uh, for Amy and I, our first year of marriage was really good. Uh, but I learned a lot about myself during that first year. For example, uh, I learned I wanted our apartment to be very, well, generally speaking, clean and tidy. The problem was I did not communicate that expectation to Amy. Yet I felt completely justified when I would come home to a messy apartment. And uh, I felt justified in that anger. And then she would pick up on it and she would ask me, is there anything wrong? And most often my response was, I'm fine. That was a pattern that would continue in my life for years until I finally recognized it. And the pattern was always the same. I would have an expectation that I would not communicate to Amy. Uh, and then I felt completely justified to feel angry and frustrated when that expectation wasn't met. Even when Amy gave me an opportunity to talk about it, I would not. I would stuff those emotions, and eventually they would come out in more destructive ways down the line. And there is a clinical term for that. It's called being a bonehead. No, it's actually called passive-aggressive. It's just one of the things that I learned about myself. Something else I learned. I thought I was a patient person before I got married. I discovered how little patience I actually had. I thought I knew how to communicate well with Amy. I discovered that my sarcasm could be biting and hurtful to her. And those were just a, a few of the things that I learned about myself that I knew I got to change this if I have any hope of becoming a little more holy, much less more happy in my relationship. In fact, I completely agree with author Gary Thomas. He wrote a great book called Sacred Marriage. And in it, he says this. Behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies unrepented sin. I want you to hear that again. I want this to sink in. Behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies unrepented sin. Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. Sin, wrong attitudes, and personal failures, if they're not dealt with, slowly erode the relationship. That is so true. We obviously go into marriage as sinful people, and when that sin rises up, as it always does, 
we have a choice to make. On one hand, we can choose to run from it. We can choose to run from it by ignoring it, defending it, denying it. That never works, by the way. Or we can choose to stop running and face into it. Humble ourselves and acknowledge the sin in our life. In fact, I think this is one of the primary ways we are going to stop the plague of divorce from even coming close to our family. We have to be humble enough to pause and acknowledge and recognize our sin, call it out, and then be willing to do the opposite. That's what it means to repent. It means to go in the opposite direction. In fact, this is your homework, part of your homework for this week is to call out at least one thing in your life that you know needs to change and begin to do the opposite of it. So for example, if you study or you uh, struggle with sarcasm like I have, you need to do the opposite, meaning it's not just enough just to remain silent. To do the opposite means you intentionally affirm and encourage the other person. If you struggle with being passive aggressive, you have to be intentional about talking about what's going on in here. Otherwise, you keep stuffing that emotion and it's going to come out in negative, destructive ways later on down the road. In fact, Amy and I, years ago, we made a pact with one another that we, we were going to be intentional about talking about what's happening so that our yes would be yes and our no would be no and there's no more games. Now, for some of you, you might be thinking... Um, Jason, you have no idea what my spouse is like and all the things that they need to change. And you're right, I don't. And yes, maybe the two of you need to go to professional Christian counseling to figure out what's broken. I'm a huge fan of counseling. But here's what I do know. The only person you can change is you. I mean, you can spend all kinds of time praying, Lord, please change her, please change him, because they're not acting, they're not doing the things that I want them to do. But I can tell you about a prayer that gets answered a whole lot quicker, and it's way more effective. And that is, Lord, show me what needs to change in me. It's exhausting. It's exhausting living with this mentality that says, here's what I need, and here's how you need to change. Versus, what do you need? And how do I need to change? God gave us marriage to help make us holy, not just happy. It, it, and if the two of you lean into this, here's what's going to happen. As Jesus becomes the focal point, as the two of you continue to focus on becoming holy the way that God wants you to, it is naturally going to draw the two of you together. Chances are you're going to discover the happiness that you've wanted all along. And it, that might sound odd to you at first, but I'm telling you, it works because I've experienced it. Um, I'm soon going to be heading up to the Boundary Waters. It's one of my favorite places to be. And uh, several years ago, we took a family trip up there. And I got to be honest, I hesitated to bring my wife. And I say that only because um, <laughs> when it comes to vacations, Amy has some really bad mojo. Uh, meaning for our 15-year anniversary, we saved for years, for years, and we went on a two-week vacation to Maui, and it rained 12 of the 14 days that we were there. The last time that Amy came with me to the Boundary Waters, the only other time, we, this was a couple decades ago, we went with some other couples, a ranger showed up at our campsite and gave our friend a $120 ticket for having soap too close to the shoreline. 
in almost 30 years of going to the Boundary Waters, that's the only time a ranger has ever come to one of my campsites. That's what I'm talking about. For Amy, it's just weird things happen. Yet, we decided we were going to take the family trip. And so Amy, me, my youngest son, Cole, my middle daughter, Samantha, and then a guy from our small group, Jim, and his nephew, Vinny. We all went up there. And I said to Jim and Vinny, because this was their first time of actually camping in the Boundary Waters like this, I said, don't worry about a thing. I got all the gear. All you got to worry about doing is catching all kinds of fish. And so I just want to show you a brief clip of our time up there. It rained like that for 36 hours straight. Six inches of rain fell. It flooded our tents. It washed out roads along the North Shore. So, Amy, you still got it. And the reason I even tell you that story is because when we got married, when we knew we were going to get married, I just, I, I just pictured making lifelong memories like this. I didn't picture monsoon rains, but I pictured making lifelong memories. Moments where we were genuinely happy. Happy that we were together. Happy that we were married. But then we had a season where we weren't sure we were going to make it. And it wasn't until we both turned back to the creator of marriage that we worked on becoming holy ourselves with Jesus as our standard. And it drew us back together. And in the end, we discovered the happiness we wanted all along. And I want that for you as well. So here's a couple pieces of homework for this week. For some of you, this is the very first time you're hearing this, this idea, this principle, and, and it's going to take time for you to really absorb this. I know for me, the first time I heard this, it was profound to me, and so I really had to wrestle this down. And maybe that's what you have to do this week is just really spend time with God, eventually confessing, Lord, I've had the wrong perspective. After that, now it's go mode. Now it's starting to live like this. And like we already talked about, you already know one thing that you know needs to change about yourself. So this week, start doing the opposite. That's repenting, going in the opposite direction. And just on the off chance, if you're a person sitting there right now going, I really can't think anything about myself that needs to change. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Ask your spouse. Ask a trusted friend. And if that feels a little scary, it's because it is, because often we're afraid of what they're going to tell us. But here's the thing. We need other people to help see the parts of us that we can't. Christian psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, he estimates that there's 40% of ourselves that we can't see. 40% of our behaviors and our words that we don't recognize how it impacts other people. We need other people to help us see our blind spots. 
And by the way, taking this step, the benefits far outweigh any perceived embarrassment or risk that you think could come of this. Because, listen, finding out about yourself and beginning to make some changes could be the difference between having a marriage you love being a part of versus just remaining roommates. It could be the difference between a spark reigniting between the two of you versus a spark starting with someone else. It could be the difference from having a, a marriage that you would rate as like a three and taking it to a seven or eight. Is it gonna take time? Yes. Will patience be involved? Absolutely. Is it gonna happen overnight? No, it will not. But it is worth it because this is the step we need to take to change all of our relationships. God gave us marriage to make us holy, not just happy. We embrace that, we live in that truth. It's gonna improve our marriage. It's gonna improve our relationship with Jesus. And it's gonna stop the plague of divorce from coming close to our family. And isn't that what we all want on the other side of this? May it be so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you speak directly into our soul at times. And so, Father, for those of us that are hearing this for the first time, convict us. Open our eyes. Make us aware if we have had the wrong perspective about marriage and relationships. Because, Lord, we want to live the way that you want us to live, knowing it's going to make things better. And then, Father, as only you can do by your Holy Spirit, make us keenly aware of what needs to change. Give us the courage to lean into those changes because we want our marriage to be great. We want to enjoy our relationships. But the only person we can change is us. So, Father, give us the strength. Give us the courage. Guide us and lead us as only you can for your glory. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being with us today, church. Come on back next week because we're going to continue this series in the other side. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.